Wait, did you hear? <gasps> no. We're diving into the juiciest celebrity profiles of all time. I'm Beatrice Hazelhurst. And I'm Ivana Ryder. This, this is Uncover Girl. Girl. Where to kick it off? How's your day, I guess? Let's start there. Day has felt slightly chaotic, still coming off, coming down from a big trip. No one talks about the other side of a vacation, which is when you just grip yourself by the shoulders. What am I doing here? Yep. What is my purpose? Yep, 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 yep. yep Did yep. I ever work? <laughs> do I know how to work? It is such a weird You do feeling. forget how to work. I do think that is a, a real phenomenon. Yeah, you forget actually what you show up to do. Yeah. And what the days look like. And I've even had that when I've been like in an office, like when I've had like a real nine to five job, I still would show up post vacation and just like stare into the computer and be like, hmm, how does it all work again? Yeah. No, I feel that too. My day's also been chaos. And well, in- you have a huge week this week. Yeah. It's en- like engagement party. I've, yeah. Engagement party, traveling for it, all family, full family, flying down families meeting for the first time that's the real crux like that's something that we often overlook with regards to your engagement party I which know. cannot be understated no no and i'm so excited i think i've reached a level of excitement but also it's like you know it's just gonna be a lot it's just going to be a lot because i want everyone to feel so cozy comfy and me and Steven, my fiance, are the only two people who know everybody. But I think that everyone can hold their own and it'll be fine. And that is only me and my control thing moving where like, I just always want everyone to be having the best time and I want to help wherever I can. And I want to cook the food and I want to serve the food and I want to make sure everyone's drinks are refreshed while also carrying 15 conversations at once. And that's just all not possible. No. And I think being of bridal caliber you get to fully hands-off step back everyone else takes care of you see yeah and that is not my strong suit I'm trying fi- I am fighting that day in day out I think that's something that you're gonna have to work really hard oh my god at. yeah both these families are so inherently different like at their core yeah you have kind of like eastern european chaos and you have midwestern just sweetness yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like how do you bridge the gap and i think the temptation is going to be for you to want to be that person as you mentioned but i think you're just gonna have to be like okay like let's just see this play out in full renaissance oil paint yeah I agree. And I think it will be good training for my bachelorette because that is another experience in which I have to surrender. Can, can we just talk about the bachelorette super quickly? Yeah. It's going to be my first time meeting so many of your friends. I I've know. met a few already, but I had an experience recently and I know where I went to a wedding and I was coming into it as like an old college friend. And it was fascinating to me how much every single friend of hers claimed her, like felt very possessive in a way that was almost romantic, but obviously not. Yeah. It, it was like, that is my best friend. That is my my son, my moon, the light of my life. Her and I have a connection like no one else. <laughs> and I even had an experience where I was introduced to another one of her friends and the connecting party was like, oh, Beatrice, like this is such and such. She's Tashi's friend from high school. And the friend corrected her and said, actually, um, elementary school. <laughs> it was like everyone needed to have some sort of role to feel like they were like <laughs> off use. And I just floated around being like, I can't compete. And I feel like <laughs> we may be entering a similar environment with regards to your bachelorette party only because, and this is a huge compliment to you and my friend Tashi, shout out Tashi, you are both warm, loving, generous with your time. You hold space for everyone whenever they need it. You are the support system. You are the third leg to the stool. And I think that what that does <laughs> Is give people like a heightened sense of ownership over you. 
You know, I noticed this most clearly in my middle school years, actually, this dynamic playing out where I didn't realize, but I had three friends that were all like, you're mine. Yeah. And I remember feeling very confused by it, mostly because I don't feel that way about anyone. There's like no one that I'm like, that is my friend. And my other friend who will be listening feels exactly the same. It's like when... My dog, we found out, is able to whip up a frenzy at daycare where all the dogs chase her. Like, she's able to somehow (laughs) make it so that every dog in the room chases her around because that's, like, her favorite thing in the world is to be chased around. That's hot. I'm like, Holly, (laughs) that's cool. That's really cool. You are a popular girl. Yeah, that is very cool. She has a popular girl name, too. Holly. Holly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know. Flipping an ear over her shoulder. And I am also curious to see how it will all play out. I want to establish before going into it, I do not know you. (laughs) I'm barely an acquaintance. Not a friend. Not a friend. Not a friend. A plus one. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm all hands on deck when anyone asks me to, but I don't need to fight for BFF status. No, and honestly, in that way, you've given me the greatest gift of all. The greatest (laughs) gift of all. It is such an interesting dynamic and it is something that I think is part and parcel for only a a very small select group of people like you and this friend I'm talking about. You're the only people. I'd love to meet. I'd love to meet her. I'd love like looking in the mirror. Just one night alone, her and I. And then we, I think we'd solve a lot. We'd figure some stuff out. You know what? You couldn't even get through a conversation. It would be both of you laughing at everything the other person said. (laughs) And it would just. And then also asking each other how the other is doing. And yeah, one question interrupting another question. It just would not, it would not work. No, there are givers and there are takers. Two buttons don't make a talk. No, it. And two givers. It just doesn't. Yeah, it's so true. All right. So we'll never meet. (laughs) No, I don't think we'll keep it separate for now. (laughs) Wait, okay. So what's inspiring you? Not so much an inspiration as a teachable moment. We live in a city that's very give and receive. Speaking of, it's very, what can you do for me? What can I do for you type of energy? And specifically right now feels very strange. For the first time in 63 years, obviously there's been like a dual strike of actors and writers, which means like no content for a long time, the foreseeable future for sure. And I recently connected a couple of people and it was... I guess from my perspective, like all going really well. And then I heard feedback from one of them, the one in the position of power, that he was like a little bit scared off and a little bit shaken by my other friend's approach. And it was teachable in the sense that I have had a similar feeling about this person before and was a little bit nervous, but thought that I'd seen real growth and evolution. And then it was also kind of reflected back onto me where I was in an Uber with a filmmaker who just had his film basically greenlit and had offers out to actors and like big names and was telling me about it. And the driver kind of jumped in and said, Hey man, congratulations. I'm a writer too. And that's so exciting. Just wanted to say, and instead of being like, Oh my God, thank you so much. What, like, what do you write? Like, tell me, like it turned into this weird kind of dick measuring competition where it was like, where did you go to school? Oh, oh have you ever produced yeah. a short? Uh huh. Did that get into any film festivals? Oh wow. Which so one? like credentials. Credentials. <gasps> and as you know, I struggle in these types of conversations where often asked, what do we write? Who do we write for? You have to list off the publications and I just get really awkward and uncomfortable with it because I'm like I don't feel like I need to prove myself to you in this moment no no matter how you do it I haven't found a way to have it sound casual because if you say some of the publications we've written for with that is honestly worse than saying them earnestly when you're like oh I don't know have you ever heard of Vogue it's like like ew it's like saying you went to college in Boston Oh my God, there's actually no way around it. And I also feel you've been published in the LA Times twice. Do you get to list LA Times? Do you get to say you're a painter if you haven't sold anything yet or you've sold two pieces, but you still have a day job? Or if you are only a first time director, can you call yourself a director or are you just a guy with directorial aspirations? Mm -hmm. Like where does it start and where does it finish? It's just a, it's just such a hard, a hard one. And it feels distinctly American and we're both not American. And 
from probably cripplingly <laughs> yeah. humble cultures. I know. Tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy syndrome, which you learned in the Margaret Robbie oh, episode. Oh. <laughs> no, I think that you and I have done an interesting sort of circus act where I list your credentials and you list mine whenever mm-hmm. we're together. And honestly, I think that plays best of all. The only problem with that is we always come off looking like we're in a relationship. Oh, yeah. No, that's true, too. That's true, too. Because the last time we did that, someone did ask us how long we've lived together. Yeah. (laughs) You know, at this point, that's the best we have. That's the best we have. That's the best. And if that makes people feel like we're in love, so be it. So be it. Yeah. The the life of an artist, as we're going to get into... Oh my episode. god, are we what gonna get into? I know. This? No, speaking of like how your profession defines you, there's no one more emblematic of this struggle than Jeremy Strong. This is our most requested profile. Yes. By far. Oh, by far. By far. I mean, it really made waves when it came out. It is, of course, Jeremy Strong in The New Yorker. The headline reads On Succession, Jeremy Strong doesn't get the joke. And the subhead is a pull quote from the piece. I take him as seriously as I take my own life, he says of his character, Kendall Roy. This is written by Michael Schulman, a favorite of the pod. Oh my God, is this profile so good. Dan Adler talked about in a recent episode that a great writer has the capacity to make you forget that you're reading a magazine story. And this is One the perfect exemplar of that. Yeah. It came out in 2021. So we're sort of recent. We're in the pandemic. It came out as this finale of season two. Two. Yeah, yeah, two of um, Succession was coming out. Crazy that they gave this much ink to an ensemble cast member of an HBO show. Yeah. It's like giving, I don't know, Kim Cattrall in the second season of Sex in the City, like a full... Full well, workup. Yeah. Because how long is this profile? It's long, it's long, long. long. I want to say what? Like 5,000? Maybe. Yeah, maybe around there. Yeah. It's definitely like on the longer side in a big way. But he has our attention the entire time. And honestly, it was hard to find the sections that I wanted to pull from because there are so many I know. good quotes. I feel like we just dive kind of right in. Yeah. No, I think so. And I know that there's a lot of Succession fans out there. And we're all sort of grieving the loss of the show because it was famously replaced by The Idol, which is sucking. (laughs) Past tense. Yeah, past tense. Sucked. Sucking for you because you stopped at episode two. Yeah, that's true. It'll forever be sucking for me. I've never switched off a television with such finality. Yeah. Just like, the book is closed. Yeah, (laughs) just goodbye. I think it's worth mentioning Michael Schulman is our guiding light in so many ways because oh my he God. wrote an incredible book that was like a stock take on the Oscars history. Yeah, did have we talked about that before? No, never. Oh my God, I thought we had talked about it on the podcast. It's because we've talked about it so much amongst ourselves. Yeah. He wrote an absolutely amazing book. Let me get the Oscar Wars, A History of Hollywood in Gold, Sweat and Tears that basically tracks the history of the Oscars. And it is so good. Oh my God, it is so good. And so interesting and so Hollywoody and insidery. But he is on staff at the New Yorker and yeah. gotta be one of the most impressive writers out there right now. Oh my god. He also wrote Michael, if you're listening. I know. We love you. Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> he also wrote her again, becoming Meryl Streep. And he's also contributed, of course, to the New York Times, Vanity Fair. He's but just, would he list them in a cocktail party conversation? I, that's what I'd like to know. How does he do it? How does he do it? Does he say author? Oh. This is the thing. It's because when a journalist writes a book, at that point, what are you? Can we just play it, role play for just one second? Yeah. This is how it goes. Okay. So what do you do? Um, I'm a writer. Oh, what kind of writer? Magazines, mostly. What do you write? Oh, my God. This is so real. I know. I can, you're, I can um, see you sweating. Yeah. I, I do a lot of... Um, <laughs> I, I, I cover pop culture, entertainment, um, lots of music, um, sort of a mix of profiles and features. Who do you write for? <laughs> I got my start at Vogue, but... <laughs> <laughs> But um, I've been freelance and I write for everyone from Bustle to Vice to Nylon. Yeah. Wow. Anything I would know? (laughs) That is how it goes. That's exactly how it goes. It is how it goes. I mean, I remember presenting to a group of high school kids and they just went, who's the most famous person that you've ever known? And that honestly is often the next question. It's that or it's like, who's the worst person? And I really struggle to answer both because- Fame means something different to so many different people. 
as yeah. I'm learning. Oh, yeah. Like, my favorite interview was Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco. People's eyes glaze over when I say Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco. But that is the angel vocalist of our generation. I, I agree. will not be corrected otherwise. No, and that is a famous man. But no one gives a fuck. Yeah. It just doesn't carry the weight of a Gwyneth. A Kendall Jenner. Yeah. Your most famous is probably Dua Lipa, right? Yeah, I think it must be. Yeah, Dua Lipa's probably my most famous. Yeah, everyone else is kind of like popular. Like Brandi Carlisle's really popular, mm. but she doesn't like make people's eyes go wide. When I think about it, I always think about it in the context of like a movie star. Yeah. And for me, I think it's still Anne Hathaway. It's like oh, yeah. the peak of a movie star Completely. that I've interviewed. How was she? Of course. So gorgeous. Yeah, I believe it. Like so beautiful yeah. and kind and nice. And I was so hungover and I was like, oh my oh, God, no. oh my God, oh, you my look God. beautiful. This was a Sunday morning, 9 a.m. at the Ritz-Carlton in New York. 9 a.m. I barely got home. I just like slept an hour. Then I was off and I just said, oh my God, I can't even look at you. You look amazing. And she was like, oh my God, I did my own, I did my own face. And I was Aww. like, oh, you stop it. And she'd won me over. Yeah, of course. Immediately. Chris can't stand her. And what? it's like, I know. He doesn't like a, a big mouth. And so no Julia Roberts either. TW. That's his. <laughs> What's TW? Trigger warning. Oh, my God. I cannot stand Julia Roberts. Which oh. I'm like, this woman is very beautiful. beautiful. She's me. been the face of Lancome for many years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that really goes to show you, it has nothing to do with us. Nothing. To do with Everyone us. just has their preferences and they won't. Two of the most beautiful women in the world. We were actually talking about this the other day at, at dinner about the triangle of hot, beautiful, and sexy. Oh yeah. And how very rarely do people hit all three. Painting your nails red. That's what hits all three for that. <laughs> that is the perfect combination of hot, sexy, and cute. I think I might do that actually this week. I was thinking about that. Oh my God. I was thinking maybe too. Oh, do it. A cherry great, red. Great with the engagement With all ring. the white. Yeah. I was kind of, I kind of wanted to, felt like I have to do something. Do I go get my nails done? Yeah, I think so. <sighs> when do I have when the, do time? the time? When do I have the time? Maybe on Thursday during the day. I'm leaving at 5 a.m. No, I know, but just like when you're in the Oh, you're right. Oh, and like, they have a great nail salon there. That's where Steven's mom took me when I was getting engaged and I didn't know it. But I almost slept through the appointment and she like came into the room. I slept in and she was like, hey, the nail appointment's right now. We have to go. That's a great mill. She's a great mill. I'm very lucky. But yeah, it's, it's so rare that people hit all three and like, hey, we put our heads together, these four people at this dinner party and we came up with Sofia Vergara. Oh my God, recently divorced. I Wild. Know, sad. But yeah. isn't that such a good one? That is a really good one. Can you think of one other? What were the words again? Hot, Hot. beautiful, sexy. Sexy. Actually, oh, I would say Dua cute. Lipa. Yeah. Hot, beautiful, and sexy. Yeah, Dua Lipa. But then you sure. look at someone like Natalie Portman, and that's beautiful. Yeah. But I wouldn't say like hot and sexy. No, so true. Or like a Blake Lively. Maybe maybe hot, mm-hmm. but not beautiful, sexy. Mm. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a weird one. Yeah. I'm like interested for that. I goes like... Yeah, please, submit. Yeah, Jeremy submit. Strong hits all three, obviously. <laughs> and takes himself very seriously. Oh, yeah. we learn from this. <laughs> In a way that I find vaguely admirable like no I, I agree i do not come away with this not liking him no i come away from this like honestly completely in awe of him and i think okay well just to just to get this out of the way just yeah. to address the elephant in the room before we just dive in yeah this profile went very 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 viral in 2021 yes. and is still referenced to this point like they, these kind of profiles are the reason we started this podcast because like they leave an indelible mark on pop culture that you and someone's career yeah that you never ever forget I mean, the big takeaway, and obviously we've already heard the headline, which does give a healthy dose of snark, but I don't think Michael didn't like him. No, I think it's way more nuanced than that. I think so too. I think that he, I think respected he's like, him, yeah. but I also think that he thought he's he like, was hilarious. Yes. yes. Like this is <laughs> insane, but so funny. Yes. And then I also just think like he thought he was interesting. And singular. Absolutely. And there's frequent comparisons to like the biggest actors of all time. Like he's compared to Dustin Hoffman on so many different yeah. occasions. Yeah. And Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. He, he is put in the upper echelon, honestly, through this profile. This puts him in that higher tribunal of method actors. But I remember what happened when this came out on Twitter and everyone was basically like, this is the end of the profile. Yeah. No one will give us access after this again. And it was because there was a big response from other A-list stars saying like, you done my man wrong. That's exactly. what we'll get into. Okay, but let, let me just read. Please. The piece opens like this. 
When Jeremy Strong was a teenager in suburban Massachusetts, he had three posters thumbtacked to his bedroom wall. Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot, Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon, and Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. These weren't just his favorite actors. Their careers were a roadmap that he followed obsessively. He read interviews that his heroes gave and later managed to get crew jobs on their movies. By his early 20s, he had worked for all three men and had adopted elements of their full immersion acting methods. So that really sets the scene. Yeah. In the sense of like, okay, these are peers or these are set up to be peers yeah. soon for him. The roadmap. Like, this is the kind of career I'm trying to have. Actually, this is the perfect example of in this essay, I will. Yes. Because this is the foundation of everything that's to come. Because the thing was, is for Jeremy Strong, success didn't really come until his 40s. Yeah. So. Which is reassuring. Yeah. Like, he had gotten these jobs by basically writing letters to all of these men, begging them to basically let him be on set in any capacity crew on the film crew just assistant to the assistant to the assistant like someone to stock the fridges and then in his mid-30s he had been in the industry at this point 15 years and he had he's like just coming up on some minor roles in lincoln which he actually acted alongside daniel Daniel day Lewis. lewis proof of manifestation really um he had a minor role in zero dark 30 and selma and the big short And his big thing was going to be a new Catherine Bigelow movie. She did The Hurt Locker, was famously like the only woman nominated for an Oscar for that. He's going to do this movie, which I do have to say that he, quote, arranged to miss part of his wedding week festivities for the filming. But after one day, Bigelow fired him. I was just not the character that she had in her mind, Strong said. It was a devastating experience. But at the same time that this was happening, Adam McKay came to him and was like, we're doing this new show, Succession, um, which he described as King Lear for the media industrial complex, which I think is so fabulous. Yeah, it is. What a chic way to sell it. And originally, Jeremy Strong was like, I want to be Roman, which I cannot even fathom Mm -mm. him in the role. And then he finds out that Kiernan Culkin has been cast as Roman. So this is all the first three paragraphs of yes. the story. Yes. So it, it sounds like what you're doing is kind of like a biography of his 30s. But this is how the profile starts, which is kind of absurd. It's all the stepping stones that took to get him to this succession moment laid out in a series of, I want to say, like 10 sentences. Yeah. It's like the profile starts on his hopeful note. And then within three paragraphs, we are in his darkest moment mm-hmm. of he's just lost Being out cut from this film on yeah. his wedding week. Huge job. Um, he's lost out on what he thought would be like his role as Roman on succession. It feels like a real dark night of the soul for Jeremy Strong. Like if this is not going to happen for me now, when's it going to happen? Exactly. He says, I've always felt like an outsider with a fire in my belly. And so the disappointment and the feeling of being thwarted, it only sharpened my need and hunger. So, but Succession's creator, Jesse Armstrong, agreed to audition him for the role of Kendall Roy, the moody middle son and Logan's heir apparent. Heir, Logan's heir apparent? Yeah, heir apparent. Oh, yeah. Apparent heir. apparent. Right, 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 right. I mean, that role and Jeremy Strong are forever intertwined. He melted away. Uh, Shulman writes, Kendall is the show's dark prince, a would-be mogul puffed up with false bravado. He is often ridiculous in his self-seriousness, especially when he's trying to dominate his indomitable father. I mean, the great irony of this is obviously the parallels between Jeremy Strong and the character of Kendall Roy. It's like he's, he's not even acting. He's so perfectly cast. I know. Jeremy Strong says, to me, the stakes are life and death. I take him as seriously as I take my own life. And then Shulman goes on to say, he does not find the character funny, which is probably why he's so funny in the role. Yeah, this is a real sticking point. It's yeah. the fact that obviously Succession is a dark comedy yeah. and has been heralded as such and everybody finds it hilarious. And like, it's laugh out loud funny. Yeah. And Shulman like brings this up. Jeremy Strong is like, wait, like what, do you, like, what do you mean funny? Like, huh? Do you mean funny in the sense of like Chekhov is comedy? And then Michael Shulman's like, And he writes this word for word. He says, no, I said, in the sense that it's funny. And then Adam McKay chimes in and says, that's exactly why we cast Jeremy in that role, because he's not playing it like a comedy. He's playing it like he's Hamlet. 
No, and I love the Kiernan quote also. After the first season, Jeremy Strong comes to him and says, I'm worried that people might think that the show is a comedy. And Kiernan Culkin says, I think the show is a comedy. Jeremy fully thought that Kiernan was kidding. Why would he that worry him? Yeah. That the show would come off like a comedy. Well, I think it's because it he would wants mean to he's be, not being taken seriously. He wants to be Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. Nobody's allowed to ever do a comedy. I mean, a Phantom Thread is the closest. Is that a comedy? Kind of. I thought yeah. it was like a sad dressmaker. It was, but it was also very funny. It's one of the best movies about a long-term relationship that exists. It's just so interesting. And it is funny. There there are actually very funny moments. But again, they are funny because Daniel Day-Lewis is not winking at the audience. No. He's playing them dead fucking serious. Yep, 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 um, yep. And so throughout this profile, we do learn that... The fact that he's missing that it's a comedy is not at the expense of his intelligence because he is like comically educated and comically smart. I'm trying to find exactly the moment where, oh yes, here, Michael Schulman writes, during our conversation, Strong cited bits of wisdom from Carl Jung, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Robert Duvall, Meryl Streep, Harold Pinter, the Danish filmmaker Tobias Lindholm, T.S. Eliot, Gustave Flaubert, and old proverbs such as when fishermen cannot go to sea, they mend their nets. He is just like sprinkling these insane philosophical texts, old plays, historical shanties from Ireland into the day-to-day conversation that he's having with this New Yorker reporter. But I think there's also an element of, I cannot be considered someone who does hold themselves in such high esteem because look how well I regard all these famous people who can basically say anything with much better succinction than I can. Almost like humility, like, oh my God, like I could tell you, but there's this great F. Scott Fitzgerald quote, which really like brings it home. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I just listened to him on a podcast with Mark Barron and it was the exact same vibe. He would throw in these quotes. He'd be like, I think it was such and such who said, but it was always, <laughs> it was always sandwiched in between something that did read very pretentious. He'd be like, when I was in drama school as a teenager in London, which he was at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, like one of the best schools schools in the world. Again, going back to like when I went to college in Boston, he he would just be like, they gave us this T.S. Eliot chapter. And and that's what I mean when I think it's like a insurance policy. It's a get out of jail free card. It's I have all these greats who have taught me how to think. And if you want to judge anything that I say, you got to judge them too. We're mm. all in the, we're in the same boat here. Do you think that someone studies to be able to do this? Yes. Because to recall, yes. It's one thing to read a classical text and be able to recall, you know, the nuances of little women and being like, "Oh, like Joe has this beautiful quote." It's another thing to be able to do that about a whole range of philosophical texts. Yeah. You have to be studying. Yeah, to constantly be using these like adages and proverbs and quote and just weaving them into every answer just feels really odd. I know. We're jumping ahead a little bit here, but there is this moment where Canon Culkin refers to his proclivity to always improvise. He's like, yeah, he loves to go off script and just ad lib his way through scenes. But he was like, we all do that and we all have fun with it. But there's something about Jeremy Strong's lines where it feels like he's written them down and practiced them. (laughs) We get into a series of examples that I think really illuminate who Jeremy Strong is on a set. Michael Schulman, he is jumping project to project and he... And person to person. Person to person. People that he's interviewed that have worked with Jeremy in the past. And he has interviewed so many people. Yes, like people who were on the props department of films that he worked on because he was so particular. Can you read this one paragraph that features Robert Downey Jr.? Oh my God. I know the one. Yes. Strong's dedication strikes some collaborators as impressive, others as self-indulgent. All I know is he crosses the Rubicon, Robert Downey Jr. told me. Super quickly, what is a Rubicon? It is like the river in uh, Egypt, I believe. Geography is not my strong suit. No, it was a river crossed by Julius Caesar in January 49 BC. Okay, it's a deep cut. Yeah, it's a deep cut. And I think it's in Italy. It's not in Egypt. I think I'm thinking of the river Sphinx, getting the, you know, getting the rivers confused. The Nile. The Nile, (laughs) the Sphinx, the, yeah. 
In 2014, Strong played Downey's mentally disabled brother in The Judge. To prepare, he spent time with an autistic person, as Hoffman had for Rain Man. When Downey shot a funeral scene, Strong paced around the set weeping loudly, even though he wasn't called that day. He asked for personalized props that weren't in the scripts, including a family photo album. It was almost swatting him away like he was an annoying gnat, a member of the design team recalled. (laughs) So it's just clear that he has very specific needs on a set. And he is weeping loudly in various corners and people are remembering. And in many ways, I think these stories are lore. He goes on in the next paragraph to talk about Leonardo DiCaprio famously eating raw bison liver for The Revenant, Robert De Niro shaving his teeth down for Cape Fear. People have done wild stuff like this before and people will continue to do it. Daniel Day-Lewis like building a cabin, building canoes for all of his roles, like learning how to do everything before he can play that role. So this is not novel in the way that Jeremy Strong is not the first person to do this, nor is he the first person to be criticized for how ridiculous this is. But he is the first person to give it a new name. Yes. He does not consider himself a method actor. He practices what he calls identity diffusion, (laughs) which I love. That's what we practice when someone asks us what we do for a living. (gasps) Identity Identity diffusion. It's when you just slip into an alter ego and suddenly you're not there anymore. You're not present. Diffused. Diffused. You become like like, my curls. Wow. I'm going to pull on that. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, his identity diffusion knows no bounds. One of his quotes, which is tender is, it was like a prayer I had, not knowing if I would ever have the courage to be an actor. I can't work in a way that feels like I'm making a television show. I need, for whatever reason, to believe that it's real and commit myself to that sense of belief. That is truly the running theme of the profile is that he does not do anything by halves. Like he is all in at every occasion, at every turn. And he's not joking. He's not joking around about any of this. And Michael Schulman clearly had a lot of access. In the next bit, he talks about being able to observe him on set as Jeremy Strong is acting as Kendall Roy. He watches him sort of melt into this role. And then at the end, he gets to tear up the script and be done with it. Yeah. Kiernan Culkin says, it's hard for me to actually describe his process because I don't really see it. He puts himself in a bubble. And I love what Brian Cox, who plays Logan, his father, has to say about this. I'm so curious your thoughts (laughs) because he clearly is like concerned. He says, I just worry about what he does to himself. I worry about the crises he puts himself through in order to prepare. Cox, a classically trained British stage actor, has a turn it on, turn it off approach to acting. And his relationship with Strong recalls a famous story about Laurence Olivier working with Dustin Hoffman, in which basically... Dustin Hoffman stays up for three days in order to prepare for a scene where he's sleep derived. And <laughs> Olivier says, my dear boy, why don't you try acting? Cox says, and this is the quote that I need your thoughts on. And I feel like there's a lot to discuss here. Actors are funny creatures. I've worked with intense actors before. It's a particularly American disease, I think. This inability to separate yourself while you're doing the job. Okay, so we have talked about this before. We have. With regards to Sir Ian McAllen, who yes. famously said in Lord of the Rings, like, I'm Ian, 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 Gandalf, 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 Ian, Ian, Ian. Yeah. The fact that it's it was distinctly American mm-hmm. feels interesting to me because it feels very American to not be able to separate your identity from your work life. Well, yes, to answer your question that you asked before of when can you call yourself an actor or a writer or a journalist or a director... I think here you call yourself that immediately because your job is your identity, is your role, is your everything. Yeah. It's like your aspirations are not just aspirations. They are your identity. Yeah. So for so long, I fought social media as an outlet to share work because I was like, well, like my Instagram is like me and like my life. It's not like my work product. But it is your resume. It's your portfolio now. Like, and that is just another extension of the capitalism that has obviously gripped American society where it's not just fun photos of you partying with your friends. You know, it is a series of accomplishments like put on display and he will not approach any acting role without first just completely immersing himself 
in this world that is unlike anything close to his own. He really yeah. inhabits it. Whereas Brian Cox is like, can't you just fucking do the job yeah. and go home and have dinner and go to sleep and then wake up and then do your nine to five again? Like, why does it have to be yeah. this whole thing? Yeah. Honestly, that was the most revealing thing to me about moving to San Diego because I realized how much work factored into absolutely no one's lives or sense of self. I would go to parties and no one would think to ask what I did. Instead, they were like, do you roller skate? <laughs> you know, whereas New York, all I did was work and then go out for drinks and like have people ask you about work, have people ask you about work. Yeah. And it was all consuming. And yeah. if you weren't being ambitious and you weren't striving, then you weren't putting yourself in the position to win. And it's like, what is winning? What, is what winning? does it look like on the other side? Yeah. And in this case, is winning cutting yourself off from your family or whatever brings you joy just to deliver this like once in a lifetime performance? Like that's the question. It's like, what are your priorities? I know. Where does happiness and fulfillment really lie for you? I guess I don't know why the Daniel Day-Lewis's of the world would do this unless it fulfilled them in some way. You know, I feel like sometimes the way that we learn to do things is the way that we do them. Even if you learn it in a way that doesn't serve you, it's like, that's the way you learn. So that's what you're going to that's what you're going to do. And I mean, for Jeremy Strong, it, there wasn't a question. He was going to do the method that Daniel Day-Lewis did, that Al Pacino did, that mm. Dustin Hoffman did. Not to get all feminist with it but i remember oh my god here we go <laughs> i remember a great quote from reese with a spoon saying you know i would love to disappear into the forest for three weeks and build a cabin and then take on a role as a woodworker but i have children to get to school i have a family who needs me and i think that's the fundamental difference between men and women because men have this provider role in society, which is like, you must deliver at all costs. Mm -hmm. Whereas women, it's like, you got to be everything. Oh my God. You're wearing yeah. so many different hats. Like you don't get to disappear. No, that I mean, a privilege not afforded to you. Toni Morrison also talks about that and how she wrote both Sula and Song of Solomon in between two jobs, raising two kids, like doing insane shit. And all of her writing, all of her writing was done in stolen moments is how she talks about it. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, wherever I can find them. Oh, I can't imagine doing that. It just no. really puts me off having children, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I actually don't know how people do it. They talk about how parents are the most productive people in the world because when you only have 30 minutes to do something, it's like you're using the full 30. Yeah. Versus... Us, we have like two There's hours. There's no watching reels. No, 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 no. So it's so interesting to think about or what the, his, the inside of his brain looks like. I don't know. And nobody around him knows either. So at this point, the profile gets even more interesting because it is revealed that Michael Schulman knows him from the past. This was such a shock. I agree. No, I went... <gasps> It was the big, because usually you would start like that. I agree. You'd be like, I met Jeremy Schoen. No, the restraint shown here and oh, the payoff is real. Oh my God, the payoff is so real. He says, I first met Strong in the summer of 2003, just after graduating from Yale, where I was two years behind him and had seen him act in student place. I got an internship at the film producer's office where Strong, then a day jobbing theater actor, worked as an assistant. The producer, an Israeli woman, would scream expletives into her phone all day while the staff worked on pre-production for an indie film called The Ballad of Jack and Rose. Strong taught me how to use the copy machine. How crazy. Crazy. We're all connected. We all find each other at the end of the day. And he is not the only person who knew Jeremy Strong. We have even other people we've covered on this podcast that are going to pop up later. But basically, The Ballad of Jack and Rose became like a life changer because Jeremy Strong was able to finally meet his idol, Daniel Day-Lewis. And Strong became Daniel Day-Lewis's assistant for the shoot and was basically tasked with helping him not starve because Daniel Day-Lewis decided for the role, a character that wastes away from a heart ailment, he instead starved himself and became emaciated. So Jeremy Strong would like give him nuts, essentially, to keep him alive. My job, Jeremy Strong says, was essentially a disappearing act to be unobtrusive and on hand and play along with the game of it. He became engrossed in his menial tasks. He is all in on this, despite the fact that he's an assistant, a job that everyone is rolling their eyes doing, basically getting, you know, their bosses, coffees, waters, whatever. He is completely consumed by it. Daniel Day-Lewis became a mentor to him 
and wrote him a beautiful note at the end of the summer. Which he will not share. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, absolutely will not. And then when Strong won his Emmy, he wore like a floppy bow tie that Shulman says was almost identical to the bow tie that Daniel Day-Lewis wore to accept his first Oscar, which I think is very interesting to point out. I know. I did look up both bow ties to try and get a gauge. And I was like, it could be a reach. Like it could be a stretch, but Mm -hmm. also it could be right on the money. I mean, I think if it is right on the money, it's sort of sweet. It's sort of like, yeah, like that's dad. Yeah, (laughs) that's dad. And I always wanted to dress like dad and... One day I'll carry a briefcase like dad where it is sort of a costume and something that you think about and what you'll be wearing in these big moments of your life. Yeah. And it's very clear that he has been kind of cosplaying what he thinks people kind of expect of him his entire life. Michael talks about his early upbringing and the fact that he was in a lower income neighborhood for so much of his his childhood. And then when they moved him to a more affluent area, basically just so he could go to a better school, he then did literal character study of the kids around him and traded off his Chicago Bulls jersey for J. Crew polo shirts. He was really, really aware of the socioeconomic difference and was like playing into it and continued to do so for so much of his life which i do respect because he is the furthest thing clearly from a nepo baby he worked so So hard hard. for decades not years you mentioned him writing letters to get to crew on these movies which i found very inspirational in the sense of like that is what i did i cold emailed oh yeah it's the only when you have no connections there's no other option if you really want it And he really wanted it. He really wanted it. So he went to these amazing schools. He got a scholarship to Yale. He went to RADA. He is a self-made man who it took until his 40s to really have his star-making role. He is such a fanboy in the truest sense of the world. Michael Schumann talks about him going to Yale. He was part of a small kind of like theater program. What is it? Student theater? It's called Dramat. Oh, yeah. The Yale Student Theatre Collective Mm -hmm. community. And he's obsessed with the idea of getting Al Pacino to come to the school. He does all the things, creating an award for Al Pacino to give students anything to get Pacino there. In the process, he completely blows the undergraduate theatre group's budget and... Al Pacino ends up like walking home with the trophy that they specifically designed for him to give the kids like the Pacino award and an old college acquaintance says basically in order for Jeremy to have his fantasy meeting with Al Pacino play out he nearly bankrupted a 100 year old college theater company oh my god which isn't that just such a running thread from Daniel Day-Lewis to Al Pacino like and then the posters in the very first paragraph that he had on his wall he loves these men and he was like i will meet them yes i will spend time with them oh my gosh sometimes if you just say that there's no other way then this will happen it really does happen i've known people like that it's dogged determination and this al pacino was not his only run-in with fame i do have to point out that chris evans yes plays a strong role because chris evans from massachusetts as well His older sister was in Jeremy Strong's grade and Chris Evans remembers going to performances and seeing Jeremy Strong perform. Chris Evans says, I was probably 9, 10 going to my sister's show and even then thinking, damn, this kid is great. He basically talks about him, how he was like a celebrity in Chris Evans's mind. And then, I mean, it all came back full circle. Chris Evans breaks out with Not Another Teen Movie, Iconic, The Whipped Cream, you'll remember it. And gets a call out of the blue from Jeremy Strong, who is trying to get an agent. He says to Jeremy, this is your lucky day. He sets Jeremy up with a meeting with his agent at CAA. But I guess the agent like never followed up. And Shulman has a very poignant quote here. He says, Hollywood is made for Chris Evans's, not Jeremy Strong's. It wasn't until the television renaissance of the past 20 years that the line between stars and character actors blurred, elevating such idiosyncratic performances as Adam Driver and Elizabeth Moss, just as new Hollywood of the 60s and 70s had produced Pacino and Hoffman. So true. So brilliant. So brilliant. And we keep coming. Like I'm so impressed by Michael's commitment to this Pacino-Hoffman narrative in the comparisons. Yeah, no, he's really elevating Jeremy 
to this height. And he's contextualizing also, I think, in such an essential way when this has happened before in history. And it's true. And despite Jeremy's beginning of life being someone with no connections, despite the way he acts on set and the fact that some people don't like it, has won a lot of goodwill. And Michael Schulman gets into sort of how he became close during a production of Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard with Michelle Williams, who at that time was with Heath Ledger. And then after he passed away... Never recover. Moved into her house and yeah. lived there for years. Rent-free. Yeah. In her townhouse. Yeah, in New York. And... He also, in this same production, he was castmates with Jessica Chastain and Chris Messina. The star-studded New York theater scene is... Unbelievable. Buck wild, yeah. Yeah. Friends, like, couldn't believe that he had finessed this for himself. Someone who spoke anonymously, again, telling, said he would invite us over for parties there. I was like, how the fuck did you pull this off? He's living in a luxury townhouse with a movie star. (laughs) He must be a good friend. Jessica Chastain, who came out his Defend defense him. Yep. after this profile came out, they have been friends for 20 years. She's an A-list actor. How many close friends do A-list actors have that oh. are not themselves A-list actors? It's true. And I think this is when Michael gives him like a little bit of slack because he says like he has an ability. I don't know. I, actually, I don't know if this is slack. I'm taking it back. I'm taking it back. <laughs> he remarks upon... Jeremy Strong's ability to attach himself to a remora of famous actors as part of his passion for the craft. So he was like, some see this as like, to your point, incredible, you know, facilitating these friendships with the biggest stars of your generation. And then others see it as blatant networking. That is a direct quote, blatant networking. Michael said to Jeremy Strong, like, hey, can I interview some people that you know, people you've worked with? And he was like, usually this is hard. Like people are like, I don't want to give up my friends. I don't want to. Yeah. Or like you can get in touch with their publicist. Yes. And my publicist Mm -hmm. talk to their publicist. Yep. And he's just like, yeah, who do you want? You want Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, I got you. Hang on. Like, let me text Matt and just tell him to call you. And then Michael is just like at an ATM pulling out money and gets a call from Matthew McConaughey. And Matthew McConaughey's quote is, this guy's committed. And my God, does that ring true? I know. (laughs) You don't do those kinds of favors for someone that you don't like, right? Matthew McConaughey is not calling. No, but if someone called me, it's like, have you ever been asked to give a reference for someone that you didn't particularly like, but you had enough of a working relationship with that they felt comfortable offering up your name? You take the call. That's what a good person does. But you're kind of like... Um, I mean, they're a really hard worker like that. Yeah. You know, you're not like, oh, my God, this will be the hire that changes your business. That like incomparable. Like the, the last reference I gave was when you were looking to adopt cats and I gave basically a soliloquy. <laughs> I like she like tried to interrupt me and I like kept going. I you're felt crying. so passionately about it. I was like, there is no one better. No <laughs> one better. But that's what you do when there's genuine love yeah. there. So are you saying that there could be a little bit of spice under Matthew McConaughey's this Absolutely. guy's committed? I- Unless unless Michael has already at this point such a clear portrait of who he thinks Jeremy is and he's cherry picking quotes and Matthew's being like, oh my God, he's the most incredible guy. This guy's committed. Mm -hmm. I think it's this guy's committed. Wow. I mean, he literally puts the words committed in italics and I feel like that is pointed. Okay. I didn't consider this. This is new. This is news to me. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. The jabs just keep on I know. No, at this point it's, yeah, many jabs. No, it's like, okay, there's no other... Yeah, interpretation. (laughs) No. Because we go to Rome with Schulman and... Strong. Yeah. Can we jump out for a second here? Yeah. How long do you think he was given with him? This feels absurd at this point. He's gone to the succession set. He mentions that he was having dinner with him in Williamsburg. Now he's going to Rome. And then he goes to his family home. Oh, yeah. In Copenhagen. In, in Copenhagen. Outside of Copenhagen. Yeah, dude. That's I, a really long time. That's This is eclipsing yeah. Sean Mendes and the yeah. Rolling Stone writer whose name is escaping me at this moment. Oh. 
But the fact that they went to yeah, that Portugal, feels like a three day trip. Yeah, that felt like an iconic like little boys trip. Yeah. Euro, yeah. Euro trip, Euro white jeans, yeah, white <laughs> jeans, <laughs> ankle <laughs> socks. <laughs> that was three days in white jeans on. Yes. This is seven days. Coffees empty, dinners refilled. Yeah, and how devastated would you be? I mean, we're gonna oh, get to it, God. but how when you give someone that much and they're like, um. You're the worst. You're a little silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're kind of the worst, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. That's true. So, yeah, we're in Rome. We're in Rome. He's wrapped the third season. Oh, it was the third season. Oh, the third finale. season of Succession. We'll, yep, we'll correct. So he's wrapped it, and Jeremy Strong seems relieved to be kind of done with Kendall after a grueling nine months inhabiting his body. While they've been in Italy, Strong has been sending Michael Schulman a bunch of texts, including a poem from Daniel Day-Lewis's mom, stuff on the invisible work on acting. He shaved his head. Yeah. And then sent photos of Jack Dorsey, the Twitter founder who sucks ass, (laughs) and was like, I feel like Kendall would have a similar physical evolution. As as Uh, Jack Dorsey, who famously eats one meal a day and fasts on weekends. Oh my God, right. It's dark. It's a hard How is he like alive? Alive, yeah. I think he's just like Daniel Day-Lewis skinny. Like it's a Daniel Day-Lewis diet. Oh my God. He's truly snatched. I have a friend who dated him, but she was always there for the meal at night. And I think he would eat a lot in those moments, but it is just like starving and binging and starving and binging. Oh God. Kendall's out here showing photos of Jack Dorsey and quoting Dante's Inferno, which is really, uh, it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. And just like that, they're out of Italy. They're going to Copenhagen. Super quick. It was a really, it was a jaunt, really. Now we meet his family. Yeah, his wife is from Denmark and they have apartments in Brooklyn and in Copenhagen. And during the pandemic, they bought a little house on Tisvild, a seaside town north of Copenhagen. So Strong's family is there. And Michael Schumann is like coming into the actor's life. Life. Yeah, Yeah, it's like the walls are down. And this this is when we get the quote at his home in in Copenhagen. He's like, I don't feel colonized by all the wanting and needing. If I'm in LA or New York, I feel so encumbered by the weight of the profession that I'm in. I understand. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like that. He deserves a little break with his family. (laughs) And I was surprised actually, as was he when Michael Schulman asks his wife sort of like how this all (laughs) affects her. And she was like, oh yeah, it's kind of fine. Let me find exactly that's what that, she said. That's that Danish laissez-faire, cool. cool as a cucumber approach. Let me find the exact quote. She's a child psychologist. I'm like, oh, he could really benefit from some inner child work. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So she says, he does a really good job of maintaining what he's doing, but also creating space for the family and a normal life. Strong, overheard. Later, he told me that her answer had surprised him. I think she feels a sort of energy shift, but it does make me feel like I'm living a double life. Yeah, he says, I don't even know if I believe in balance when he talks about work-life balance. I mean, the quote is, I believe in extremity. Yeah. Imagine dating a guy who's like, I don't know, I feel like I kind of just believe in like extremity. You'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm out. It's like two fingers crossed yeah, I know. Out from you being like, please back away, sir. A sir. burning red flag waving <laughs> overhead. Yeah. How do you feel about like, I don't know, extremity? Because that's how I live every it's day. It's like, we're never going to brunch. No, it's not. <laughs> there's no sleeping in. I think this is this is all such an, an interesting time that he's now with him in Copenhagen when he can really like take off the Mm -hmm. corset relinquish the ariana grande type ponytail and just like wave that shaved head free and yet still he can't he can't like he he literally can't i mean he's a self-described coffee snob so he traveled through italy with his own coffee grinder (laughs) and own beans in italy 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 Oh, God. He says, you have to commit to your legend. I'm not sure which one is more real. Am I committing to the legend at home where I'm the father or husband or the legend at work? Dude, I could not be in a relationship with this man. That's clear as day. Mm. And honestly, bless Emma Wall. Yeah. An even-tempered child psychiatrist. (laughs) I'm like, wow. You have to be literally floating. Free. Yeah. And, like, I know relationships like that where, like, someone is really intense and someone is so go with the flow that it's almost comical. Yeah. Yep. But 
That's what I like about us. I feel like we pick our moments. Yeah. Yeah. We but we do pick our moments. <laughs> Sometimes we have to stop referring to us as if we're in like a I long-term partnership. I know. It's so true. <laughs> like we can't keep coming right. back here. They were right when they asked us how long <laughs> we were together. When that 35-year-old retired German CEO said, and now you two together? Yeah. <laughs> how long you've been together? Oh, no, Tobias. We also answered in the strangest way, which is like, we are together with other people. And he was <laughs> like... <laughs> Because I said, seven years, right? Yeah. About you and Steven, but just admitted you and Steven yeah. and led with seven, seven years, years, right? Yeah. My God. And we leave him. We leave him here at home. We leave him at home in Copenhagen on an empty beach. I know. Do we read the last quote? I feel like absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Jeremy Strong says, I think my life has been animated by wanting. I felt like there was so much to prove both to myself and to the community for so long. But in a way, I got that out of my system. Michael writes, as we turned back to the troll forest, he added, now I feel like I'm up against myself in the ring. Jeez. Have you ever read a more apt embodiment of fists clenched? Yeah. No, no. I mean, how does this guy just release? I don't know. I really don't know. That's the end of the profile. And this is, I want to believe this is 6,000 words. Like this is very, very yeah. long. And it has so many quotes from both famous people and anonymous people. Yeah. Which you never seen a profile of on it. I know. It's true. It's very rare now. Very You never rare. see people going and off also record. random people, props people. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is amazing. And it paints a vivid picture, one that Jeremy did not like, one that Jessica Chastain did not like, one that the public was very interested in. Let's talk about the reception here. Before we move forward, do you believe he did him dirty with this? I do not. I think that this is an accurate accounting of the events that transpired, of all the references, of all the things. I do not know Spend seven days with this man. What are you coming up with that's not this? No, this feels totally fair. Totally, totally fair. And sure, it's a magazine story. There's always a little bit of opinion in there. He does have a history with the talent. Mm-hmm. There's, that's definitely woven in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what it is. It's on succession. Jeremy Strong doesn't get the joke. And then it is the story. If the title had been Jeremy Strong auteur of our generation yeah there would not have been this kind of response do you agree i actually do believe that because a lot of where this circulated was twitter where all people do is read the headline yeah. and i think that that got a lot of people in maybe I on do threads th- will be different i know who knows the future is bright <laughs> i think you're right i think that if that had been the headline a lot of people would have glossed over it would have mm-hmm. skipped right over it but it grabbed people it definitely grabs people but then i think even if the headline had been that i think that his his celebrity friends would have come to his rescue still. And then at that point it became newsworthy because Jessica Chastain was speaking out against this New Yorker profile. Before we do, I think we did skip over one very relevant part. Aaron Sorkin, yet another source who was named in this, offered his own anecdote about directing Jeremy Strong in the trial of Chicago 7 and Jeremy Strong essentially asked Sorkin if he would spray him in the face with tear gas. Oh yeah. There were 200 people in that scene and another 70 on the crew so I declined to spray them with poison gas. Mm. Like Sorkin then published his original answers and it was the quote word for word. There was no recontextualizing. It was perfect reporting. I think like Michael is completely vindicated from any sorts of like snackiness or wrongdoing because it's all there in the quotes it's not a lot of editorializing no not at all and then so Sorkin then responded by publishing his full kind of transcription with with Michael Shulman the writer Aaron Sorkin says only one and a half of my answers were used which of course, is perfectly normal, but there were quotes about tear gas. Let me be clear. Jeremy would never suggest endangering a member of the cast or crew or anyone else. It was something he mentioned in passing. And I was telling the story affectionately as a way of demonstrating his commitment. Jeremy Strong is a great actor and a great company member. There isn't a writer, director or producer on earth who wouldn't grab at the chance to cast him. I mean, so that's that's worth saying. It's like that quote reads damning in the oh, profile. Yeah. And then Aaron Sorkin sort of rebuffed it, that. And yeah. it's like, that's He's not like, what I meant. Look, yeah, and he doesn't have Twitter, so this was published 
by Jessica Chastain right. on his behalf. On his behalf. She I wrote, Aaron Sorkin doesn't have social media, so asked me to post this letter on his behalf, XX. And she said when it came her time to speak out, I've known Jeremy Strong for 20 years and worked with him on two films. He's a lovely person, very inspiring and passionate about his work. The profile that came out on him was incredibly one-sided. Don't believe everything you read, folks. Snark sells, but maybe it's time we move beyond it. Mm, I disagree. Uh, I disagree. I disagree. I mean, there were just too many sources. You cannot rebut that when so many people have weighed in. Don't believe everything you read. Like, yeah. what? What? <laughs> people said their experience. So many things. So many. This was not an op-ed. No. Or uh, extra, extra TMZ piece <laughs> that's know. like, Jeremy Strong pregnant. <laughs> but I, what I think is so interesting yeah. It's Jeremy Strong's response. Give it to me, So mama. he describes this experience of 15 minutes of shame with a long tail. This is what he tells GQ. I hadn't felt judged like that in a very long time, Strong said. The shadow is the part of ourselves that we don't want to share with the world and we want to disavow. The part of me that is striving. The part of me that wants what it wants. I was less bothered by other actors having feelings or opinions about the way I work. Really, it was just feeling exposed. Yeah. That feels very real. I know. Very genuine. (laughs) It takes a brave man to acknowledge this and confront it head on. He could have very easily never done another interview again, like gone the Drake or Beyonce way and being like, I've been fucked over. Fuck the press. The fact that he would then a year later do another deep diving profile with GQ. My head is off. My hand is in a flourish. I am down on a knee being like, well done, sir. I am in awe of both of these men. Oh, for, for sure. different reasons. <laughs> different reasons. I did watch his Actors on Actors with Jessica Chastain. Mm. And she is so jovial and friendly and intimate with him. And he is so arm's length serious. It's about the craft. And it's just like, this is just who he is. Yeah. I'm going back to a quote from the Taylor Swift profile. She said, you know, self-awareness is the biggest superpower and it is what will carry me through when I see anyone who's fallen off because of their fame. It's because they lost all sense of self-awareness. And I think that this delivered him a healthy dose of self-awareness, but fundamentally it is just who he is and he's never going to change it. But to anyone, to any normie, and it's so hard to reconcile the fact that these people exist. This is their reality every day. Yeah, dude. It's not a funny story. No. It's not an anecdote of one time he did this. No, this he, is he's, who he is. It's who he is. He's not going to look back and be like, lol, when I was 22, I took myself so seriously. You know, the way know. that we have done on numerous occasions in this podcast. He doesn't have that perspective and I don't think he needs to. This is who he is and that's okay. I know. And more and more that feels like the theme of life people really are who they are and you really can't change them. no at this point he's a middle-aged man there's no change oh no 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 it's all gelled it's set in stone how do you feel about him now i mean you're an avid succession fan i'm sure our listener is a succession aware person if not Mm -hmm. tried and true fan i feel completely enamored with his performance yeah he i mean the whole show is impeccable best television in so long i miss it dearly he is so interesting to me i feel like weirdly at peace i feel at peace too i feel really happy that people like this exist me too and i think that there is something to learn from them i don't know what it is exactly but it is good that they're out there and they clearly rub against some people and then they also delight so many people yeah i think what rubs against me And to bring it all the way full circle to my inspiration this week, ambition that's so shameless it feels reckless is Mm. difficult for me to process. I'm not into it. But at the same time, I cannot help but admire it. It takes a lot of goal. It takes a lot of goal to be that person that in every room is like, hey, I'm a star. Great to meet you. I know. You know? It does. I don't think I have the self belief for it to carry me through Mm. um that much rejection and like you've already had success enough you know to kind of propel you enough to 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 put a little bit of wind beneath the wings but not enough for a jet stream (laughs) no never enough for a jet stream (laughs) so few enjoy the spoils of a jet stream (laughs) boeing 737 i know and on that note 
I'm off to travel again. Yeah, you are. Uh, getting back on that Boeing in economy this time. <laughs> <laughs> we were in business class I last know, time. It was so nice. It was so nice. <laughs> we did not want the flight to end. We were yeah. just huddled in our little sex with Avenue X United Blanket. 11 and a half hours and you're like not long enough the fact it's that over you, too soon you took both blankets from the flight the duvet i have them and the light they're in my blanket. hall right now i'm gonna wash them when i get home squeezing them into your tote bag i wanted to remember <laughs> i took it all you truly pillaged i did that i would have taken the lumbar support pillow but there was just nowhere to put it no 15 minutes of shame here <laughs> no 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 i hope that we delivered on this one because this is the one that people really really wanted yeah like desperately once you listen to this episode i hope it provokes some thought and conversation that when you're having an aperol spritz at happy hour you can be like thoughts on yeah. jeremy strong let's and get this back whole to thing. this in general it's such a internal battle of like how ambitious do i act am i, I how act? ambitious am i actually yes yeah it's such a push and pull because mm-hmm. sometimes it's like i just want to disappear to copenhagen and on other occasions it's like i love the rat race of i know the city. i know i'm gonna ring the stock market bell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a push and a pull it's it is a push, push and a pull. pull we know it all too well and we wish you luck with yours yeah we do we love you we're thinking of you always when we lay our head on our lumber support stolen united pillow yeah we think we hope that this little special ago is surviving and thriving yeah and just swim into the top. Making tons of money. Yeah, I hope you're making so much money. I know oh it's a God. recession. Yeah. Oh, we love, love you. Bye. bye. <laughs>